listening to the Sacred Ordinary Days podcast. I'm Jen Giles Kemper, and you can find me at sacredordinarydays.com. I'm Lacey Clark-Elman of asacredjourney.net. For season one, we're journeying together through the liturgical year. So grab a cup of tea or coffee and join us at the table. Hey, Jen. Hi, Lacey. I am so excited because today, the day that we're releasing this podcast, I am on my way to meet you in person for the first time. I'm so excited, too. I know. We've just been talking about the books that we're bringing to share each other and the notes and all the things. Mm -hmm. So I can't wait. And of course, we're preparing for our retreat, which we've been talking about for a long time. So it's great that it's finally here and we finally get to sit around the table with some of our listeners. Yes. And this felt like a moment that um, was was really special. It's going to be a smallish retreat. There are, I don't know, between like 14 and 18 of us throughout the weekend. And um, while we had several men register, their plans changed. And so as it turns out, this group is going to be all women. Uh, my husband and brother are actually going to be our chefs for the weekend. So they'll be around. <laughs> but... It's, I think it's going to be a really special time, and um, as I'm hoping to do some retreats in the future, having this very first iteration together in my hometown and home church and actual home feels really mm. special, and I'm delighted to share it with you and, and those who are coming to be with us. I'm so looking forward to it. And you've had a big week already. You had a birthday. I did. It was a great birthday. And, you know, exploring celebration throughout this year and um, the seasons of Christmas and Easter really felt like it added some joy and levity to to Mm -hmm. my birthday this year. Having this whole year of noticing what really fills me up and what fills up the people around me made celebrating and being celebrated especially lovely so well happy birthday nice thank you thank you thank you i think the celebrations extend beyond the day absolutely is my personal opinion so we'll (laughs) still be celebrating even when we gather together i'd say yes and we've also been celebrating that the pre-sale for our academic year planners is going and going well We have been so, so grateful for folks who have already said, yes, I know that I want one. Here's my money because we already paid all the money (laughs) to all of our production partners. And so it helps (laughs) us. Um, So if you're interested in an academic academic year planner for Sacred Ordinary Days, just head to sacredordinarydays.com. And in fact, we have some digital resources as well, either to help you decide between now and when the academic year or now and when the liturgical year come out if you really want them after you've been using them for a little while, or to just help tide you over if you already are looking forward to receiving those, you'll be able to print off the PDFs and start working with it already. And as we are wrapping up season one here together on the podcast, my mind and heart have also begun to think about season two, and I'll be working on that over the summer. So Lacey and I have a request Would you consider leaving us an iTunes review as your gift back to us for this season? I'll be choosing one reviewer when we get to 50 reviews, and we're at 36 right now. I'll be choosing another when we get to 75, and a third when we get to 100 reviews. And those three reviewers that I'll be choosing at random will be receiving a planner. You can get step-by-step instructions on all of Lacey's podcast posts and on my website at sacredordinarydays.com because we know leaving a review is a little bit trickier than it ought to be. So we want to make it as easy for you as possible. What about you, Lacey? Well, as we know, we passed Pentecost that we talked about in our last episode and we actually had a church retreat that weekend. And so we were out on Whidbey Island, which is one of the many islands in the Puget Sound. And on Pentecost morning, we had a small group with us and had a fire on the beach. And I actually had a friend leading the the time together. And he 
spent some time in a Quaker congregation, and so mm-hmm. we kind of did that sort of listening that they do, just waiting and speaking whenever you feel moved by the Holy Spirit, which felt like the perfect way to mark Pentecost. And so that was beautiful to be out there in the the cool gray hmm. Pacific Northwest morning, hearing the waves. And even there was a flock of seagulls that came overhead and even a bald eagle. I miss the bald eagle, but there were rumors that there was an <laughs> eagle circling too. And so knowing that we often use the imagery of a dove or a wild goose, a bird as the Holy Spirit felt really poignant as well. Yeah. So that was a meaningful time for me for sure and something I think that perhaps I'll incorporate into future Pentecost celebrations. I, before this, you know, didn't have, except for personal reflection, much other than wearing red or Mm -hmm. I know someone who is a listener and mentioned they had red foods and stuff like that, which I love. And I think the fire, a beachside fire perhaps has a place in its future, sitting and listening and even incorporating different languages. Like I know you've talked about in church services, you've done that before. Mm -hmm. So that was so good. And then recently was also Trinity Sunday. And so we got two big ones in a row. Yeah. And at our church, we are very experiential, experimental in how we do different services. And it's always a group effort. And so anyone can give their input. And for this year on the Trinity Sunday, they had the chairs set up in three groups kind of facing each other, hmm. like you would imagine a Trinity yeah. symbol or something like that. And so not only... Hmm? A triquetra. Exactly. <laughs> what, what you said. <laughs> and not only was the liturgy infused with Trinitarian language, but we got up and moved to each section three times. Oh, wow. And so there was some... It was... I love when we are talking about Trinity because, sure, it's about the three persons of the Trinity, but ultimately it's about the what's in between, the dance in between, hmm. and so the relationship in between. And so in a way, it felt like we were participating in that dance, that movement as we, as we moved along. And so I really loved that as well, incorporating my body in that unexpected way. How neat. Mm-hmm. We have... Um an icon, you know, a famous icon that lots of people... The Rublev? Yes, that lots of people look at mm-hmm. um, and in contemplation of the Trinity. But I found myself this year, as I was staring at it on the front of our worship guide, thinking, I, I would like to play with this a little bit more. So mm-hmm. for the next couple of weeks, at least, that will be a part of my morning time. Mm-hmm. And I'm... I'm curious what will come up for that. Learning more about icons and praying with icons is something that I would love to learn more about and incorporate more of into my practice. It's something that our congregation has incorporated more into our shared practice. And so I'm I'm excited to Mm, start here. What I love about that icon, too, is that they're all seated around a table and especially looking forward to our upcoming retreat and the meals we'll share and how we've even been framing this conversation, inviting others to join us at the table. It feels uh, along the same thread. Absolutely. Very, very fitting. And then I've also had my Meaningful Morning course, online course on sale. I mentioned it during the last episode. And so since the day after Pentecost through June 1st, My 31 Days to a Meaningful Morning online course is on sale for $20, which is $10 off the regular price. It's the lowest price that I've ever offered it at. But I want you, for this ordinary time, to have the opportunity to make it extraordinary. And I think a morning ritual is the perfect place to start. And Lacey, for folks who aren't as familiar with taking online courses as maybe some of us are, would you maybe say a word about how that works, because I know that sometimes the way something is delivered can be either a helpful part of or a hindrance for some people and whatever the material is. And I think that the way that your course is put together is really beautiful, really easy, and really accessible. And I would hate for someone to 
miss out on it because they're thinking, oh, online course, that feels mm-hmm. really intimidating. Yeah. This course is a self-paced online course. And so you receive the content via email. You get a new email in your inbox with a new lesson each day. But if you are a little busy, you can come back to it on the weekend or something like that. And so it's up to you. No, no one's holding you accountable, but, but yourself. And that's part of a morning ritual anyway. And so it's a good practice there to have that, that pattern of coming to your computer, your phone, wherever you like to read your email and sitting down with your journal and having a short lesson and then spending time in reflections. It comes with a downloadable PDF workbook to help guide you through that process as well. And the goal, my hope, is that by the end of your time, you will have a morning ritual that both leaves you feeling connected to God at the beginning of the day as well as rooted, established, centered, connected to yourself, which I feel like is the foundation for a great day ahead. And you can find that at asacredjourney.net. So, Jen, here we are back in Ordinary Time. Mm-hmm. Let us know about Ordinary Time again and how this one is a little different. Yeah, so they're, depending on your denomination and, and church, some folks say that this is the one and only Ordinary Time throughout the year. Others will say that it's one of two, the first being the season of Epiphany after Christmas, and then the second being where we are now, the season after Pentecost. Started this year, May 16th, and goes through November 26th in 2016, and it varies year to year. It can last up to 29 weeks and always ends with the beginning of Advent. So this whole season after Pentecost is a season after the church is given the gift of the Holy Spirit as a companion and is tasked with carrying out God's work in the world. It's the longest season of the liturgical year, celebrating our role in the ongoing life of Christ as church and bringers of kingdom on earth. This season and really the whole year is crowned by Christ the King Sunday. You can remember, Christ, King, wears a crown. And it really is the crown to the whole cycle. And then, of course, we begin again with the first Sunday in Advent, which will happen this year on November 27th, 2016. As we've discussed in many of the previous episodes, Ordinary Time is a great season to focus on your personal devotional practices. This might include cultivating a daily and weekly rhythm or working on your rule of life. You can find more about that in episode five. We also have the rule of life practice as part of the essentials workbook, which you can download for free at sacredordinarydays.com. You can use it to incorporate a time of retreat. And we talk about that in our video, which is on both of our podcast pages. You can use it to commit to a renewed practice of Sabbath, which we talk about in episode 11. You can use it to enter a season of discernment, which we talked more about in episode 6. Learn a new practice of prayer, which we talk about in episode 7. Or use it as a season of stepping into fuller membership in the church. The season after Pentecost is accompanied by themes of ordinariness, of course, faithfulness, commonness, church, and sensitivity to the spirit. The holy days are starting with Trinity Sunday, which has happened May 22nd. Trinity Sunday celebrates the doctrine of the Trinity, the three persons of God, Father, Son, Spirit. On May 31st is the Visitation of Mary, celebrating Mary visiting Elizabeth. June 24th is the Nativity of St. John the Baptist, celebrating the birth of John the Baptist, who prepared the way for the Lord, prophesied the coming of Christ, and then baptized Jesus. Holy Cross Day is September 14th, and it's a holy day that celebrates the role of the cross. An important part of the narrative and story and 
I, I think it's pretty cool that the cross gets its own day. Also, All Saints Day, which is November 1st, and then observed November 5th, where we remember and celebrate the gift of the saints of the church and draw to a close this whole season of celebrating church. And then finally, Christ the King Sunday, where Christ is celebrated as, as king in this last week in the season after Pentecost just before the church year begins again with Advent. So today in our exploration of the season after Pentecost, after the Holy Spirit has been given, one of the ways that we each respond to spirit is in our vocation. So Lacey and I will be exploring vocation. And so let's just start here. Lacey, what's meaningful to you about vocation? And what do you think it has to do with ordinary time? Well, for our exploration, I started where I like to start for many words, which is the etymological dictionary. (laughs) I love to figure out where they came from. And uh, it's amazing because you can often find deeper meanings hidden there. The root of vocation comes from voice. And it has also been known as spiritual calling, consecration. And so I loved that looking, you know, I think if you look up vocation in the dictionary, it probably is a bit more occupational these days. Mm -hmm. But at its root, at the very beginning, the birth of the word, it comes from spiritual calling, consecration, voice, which, as we talked about with Pentecost, reminds me of the unique language that you speak, and so not just a, a foreign language, but what you bring to the world, how you tell the good news, and that being not just the gospel as we read it in words in in the Bible, but the gospel to you where you find salvation, where you find joy, where you find passion, where you intersect with Christ, and the gospel that you feel compelled to share, that the Holy Spirit leads you to share. What I love about that is that it really shows that we each have such an important role to play, Mm. that the Bible exists, has existed, will continue to exist. But the role that we have to play is in the many, many ways that we bring it to life, that we put on the flesh and bones of God in the world and bringing about the kingdom and and being the hands and feet of Christ. And it starts with your individual education, experience, expertise, interests, all the things that make you uniquely you and, Mm -hmm. and how those intersect. And I find that this is such a beautiful, helpful reframing to restart or start our conversation about vocation when so Mm. much of the language surrounding this can leave me at least feeling helpless as if my only role is waiting or even feeling a bit impotent that, um, that what's mine to do, I can't do. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. And that's why I, in preparation for this, was revisiting Parker Palmer's book, Let Your Life Speak, and it was such a gift because I, as you said, I still have that struggle as well. And I think that's because so often we equate career and vocation, Mm -hmm. you know, as being the same. And, And sometimes it is. Sometimes they intertwine, but Parker Palmer is really distinct as he defines career and vocation. And he says career is what you do in the world and vocation is what you bring to the world. And so you pursue a career, as you were saying, and as I am always, as entrepreneurs are always pursuing something, trying to bring something into being. While a vocation, he says, you uncover a vocation. It's already there. It's already in you. And so it's not something to be attained. It's something to be revealed. And so a vocation is not a goal you pursue, but a calling that you hear and a gift you receive. 
He says in Let Your Life Speak, discovering vocation does not mean scrambling, which really spoke to me because I feel that Mm. scrambling towards some prize just beyond my reach, but accepting the treasure of true self that I already possess, which that like the last part of that sentence just allows me to take a deep breath. Mm. Feels like such, such relief. And so I've come to understand vocation as this sacred thread that is woven throughout our past, present, and future and finds its way, hopefully, in our career, no doubt, because that's how we spend the most of our days. But it is far beyond that, of a, of a different world. And I love that even last week you spoke about Holy Spirit as a thread through church, through history, through our lives that we can notice and pay attention to and perhaps even um, grasp hold of, though it may be an open-handed grasp. Um, And that vocation is is very much the same way, that it is a thread to notice, to pay attention to, and and really to, to let it be what it is. I do think, though, that in the continual uncovering of our vocation, that there is certainly room, invitation, and even command to do things with great love and with excellence. And I think that's a way that we steward our vocation, doing them with great love and excellence. I love that, that it's not just something that you have, but something that you steward as well as a gift. Yes, I think I think to approach calling as a gift that you are doing nothing but sitting with open hands, waiting to receive, even begging God to receive, uh, maybe as in similarly to how we've talked about praying for a gift of tongues or praying for a child or praying for a job or any of the many things that we want and, and ask God for recognizing that only God can give at the same time, our role and our participation in the stewardship of our calling Mm in my experience, is where that calling really comes to life and begins to take Mm. shape. And, you know, if we're thinking of vocation as a voice that you naturally have, um, a a part of your true self, Mm -hmm. the way that God has uniquely gifted you to be in the world and serve the world, serve the church, represent Him, that takes on many different expressions throughout a life, throughout mm-hmm. the seasons of life. And so you stewarding it and responding by um, becoming better and better at something mm-hmm. or at least working with it and trying something, yeah. even getting comfortable with the fact that you won't be great at it. I think that's a way to, to say back to God, like, I hear you. I'm mm-hmm. I'm doing the part that's mine to do. And I think this podcast has been a great example of that. Yeah. Well, it reminds me, too, if we're talking about voice even as this metaphor of of voice lessons. Someone who has a good voice at a young age often seeks out voice lessons, vocal coaching, so that which I did. Can, <laughs> yes, you can even lean more into into that gifting, so that you can learn to sing the vowels correctly and more fully. Then you can go into any genre that you want and be better than you were before. And so. And, and of course, that's a value of spiritual practice as well as returning always and stewarding, stewarding those places that make you feel more connected to God and fully alive. Absolutely. And I know that my the, the expression and the shape that my vocation has taken over the years, and I hope this continues to be true. I imagine that it almost has to be. Um, the, the, the same threads are certainly there. They just show up mm. differently. Oh, yeah. and, mm-hmm. and that gives me a lot of grace. And it also allows me to give grace to the people around me, some of whom haven't seen different expressions of my vocation as clearly as I did until after the fact or after yeah. they were more fully expressed. Um, yeah, so that, that allows me to have some grace mm-hmm. with that. I so agree and have really been able to name that in the past year. I completely feel like I'm still stepping into my own vocation. And I think in doing that, I'm realizing that I always will be, that it's an ongoing invitation. And so while I've 
been able to name some threads or values within that that always show up as I look from my past and my present and toward my future, the threads of travel and home and spirituality. They, in different seasons, show up in different ways. And even as my role of spiritual director, I, as we've talked about before, spiritual directors are often much older. And so it's interesting to reimagine what my role as a spiritual director can be today and even in all the different places that I can show up as a spiritual director, whether that's formally or or informally. So it's a it's something that flows, that doesn't have to be defined by one specific thing, but flows because it's that thread. It's woven through your very being. I love that. So, you know, if we're, if we're thinking about this, this metaphor of thread, maybe we expand on it a bit and think of it as a rope with many threads. How are those threads showing up for you in your work with A Sacred Journey right yeah, now, Lacey? Definitely. And that, and that has helped guide me in the direction that I want to take, take that as well. And so there's, as I named travel, home, and spirituality. And I, I entered my work with the sacred journey before I had named those, but whenever I began to look and see the threads, I realized that they were all there. Spirituality, of course, which connects them both travel, both on its own and as a spiritual practice, and home, both, you know, my love for design and for homesteading, but also finding the sacred within all of that. And so that feels like each of those are present, which feels really important to me and the in the work that we do in the world and maybe that's when we start to talk about career is are each of my values being able to be celebrated and fulfilled whether it's in the direct tasks I do or the environment I'm in or the acts of my daily life it's a great question to ask what would you say are your threads your values I think mine are hospitality and a love of design, and then more recently, business and entrepreneurship. Hmm. I think I think the expression and the intersection of those in our work at Sacred Ordinary Days is very clear to me, but may not be for other people. Um, I know that I have always been one to teach as soon as I knew something that someone else wanted or needed to know. And I have also always been a welcomer, um, thinking about how an experience would be for someone coming into it for the first time. And I've always loved beauty and really valued design and felt like it had such an important role in whatever content was actually being delivered. Mm. And I think those really come together in and our work with Sacred Ordinary Days. I mean, the, the work that we're sharing with people is largely other people's work. It's not mine. I don't, I don't feel any sense of ownership over the liturgical year or other contemplative spiritual practices that we teach, certainly. I'm merely one of many conduits, and mm-hmm. I'm happy to be that and to teach from my unique position as a woman in the 21st century now in her 30s, Baptist, you know, like all of that, Mm -hmm. that expression is part of it. Um, And then welcoming people in for whom this either isn't familiar or, or people who it is so familiar for them that they have forgotten how to welcome other people into it and, and need a way of entering deeply and welcoming people into the depths Mm-hmm. Um, I love that you said conduit. That feels like another word to maybe add in this mix of voice and vocation. And as we're talking about the season after Pentecost and so still have the Holy Spirit in mind, because it's if you think of a conduit, it's like, you know, if we believe that vocation is a gift from God, a calling from God, it's funneling through you and then it's how you deliver it to the world. All thanks to the Holy Spirit, right? <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Well, I know that for you, you have been shifting in your yeah. perception of your calling in this season of your life. Mm-hmm. How are you seeing that unfold? Oh, definitely. Well, one, it was about a year ago that maybe part of this 
process began, and I was listening to a podcast with Rob Bell and Elizabeth Gilbert, and they were talking about creativity. She was preparing for her her new book, and she had said that she made. I think I, I might have even mentioned this in some of our podcast conversations before. She made I think so. this, yeah, this commitment because it's it just I can't let go. Of yeah, it. tell us again. This commitment to her work, to her writing, when she was a teenager, and she said that I will never make you support me. I will always support you because she was talking about how creativity is just, it's otherworldly. And so that was just an aha moment for me. I'm snapping. It just (laughs) happened, happened like that. Something clicked where I was able to see how, because this work has become a creative work. It's a generative work for me. And I feel like, you know, I have a muse and I'm channeling something. I'm a conduit in a way. And sometimes I d- demand a bit too much from it. I demand it to support me financially. And not that that's not a good thing. Of course, that would be a great thing when they can intersect. But sometimes I prioritize that mm. over doing the work that I feel called to do. And so I'm learning to do this dance, kind of this Trinitarian dance, so to speak, (laughs) as I name my threads and find my threads and ensure that they're each a part of my life and also balance that with, you know, needing to make money to support myself for us to be able to pay our mortgage and do all the things that we need to and want to do. And so as I begin to take off those those demands, uh, the pressure of needing to make my work be something that it might not always be. I find other ways to offer financial support. I, I'm a graphic designer. We're Airbnb hosts. And oftentimes, whenever I become obsessed with making this work, this calling, offer support, I've found that my vocation and my voice can be squelched. Hmm. And so that's it's this balance, this back and forth of how am, is my voice full? How am I being most fully alive? Am I feeling squelched? And it's the, it's the dance of the two worlds, right? The other worldly with this, this world, this here and now kingdom work with, with where we are today. And so I am certainly currently entering a season of transition and discernment as I notice where my voice and vocation has been suppressed and how I want to move forward with both my work for the world, that vocation, and my work in the world, my career. And so I'm having a a summer sabbatical to stop and to listen and to locate that thread and to also name my needs and to find where they intersect. And, And I feel like I've always been on that dance but I'm so grateful now to to pause and to take that time to to name those things and to see what comes of it I love that I really enjoyed hearing hearing you share the last couple of months in the podcast and bits and pieces and certainly in our personal conversations about how you've noticed the need for a pause and how you have chosen to respond by giving yourself that space and Mm. um I think that's a piece of the puzzle that a lot of people miss, even if they uh notice themselves. And I'm not sure that burnout is a word that you would describe um, for yourself right now. But I know for a lot of people, as they're noticing themselves beginning to feel really burnt out, maybe resentful of either um, jobs or responsibilities or relationships even in their lives, that is a great moment to take that as an invitation to pause and really consider if you might shift or if you might just need a respite Mm -hmm. and yeah and how you might invite other people perhaps to be a part of your discernment (laughs) yeah well and that's what I love about the term sabbatical too and it feels very pilgrimage Esque, certainly because many people go on journeys during sabbaticals, but because it's a time to pause. And even biblically, it was a time where the land was to grow fallow. And oftentimes, even in farming practices today, they use that to 
to plant other crops Mm -hmm. or they might let the the field grow wild. And so that metaphor there still exists. If you take a pause, what happens? What what grows? What shows up? What what else can you plant and see? See if that is more nourishing, if that is more abundant of a crop for you in your life. And if it might show you either a new path to go down or yeah. renew you and restore you to continue oh, yeah. down the path that you've been on for years. Mm-hmm. And I have an inkling it'll do both yes. for me. I'm sure, I'm sure that it will. I really appreciated your distinction between... Um, the time and place for vocation and career to overlap, that it is possible and it is not a bad thing. What, what can be restrictive and really damage your voice is to demand your vocation to support you. Um, and that that expectation and demand can be, can be your vocation's very undoing. In fact, Mm -hmm. um, But I I love that that's an invitation to notice even that part of your vocation unfold all along the rest of it, whether or not it might be your career and to what extent and what expression that might take in a certain season. I've said this before, but I think the title may change for you, but often the real work that is being done is very consistent. Mm -hmm. That has certainly been the case for me. Although I'll admit that now having my husband as a part of our business and now our business being our entire family's income, we discerned that that was a good step for us to take, that it was a faithful step for us to take, and that we were taking that step with open hands rather than clenched fists demanding our work to provide for us financially. Mm -hmm. And I think part of the way that we're holding that with open hands is to say that we're willing to revisit that, that if that's not possible yeah. or mm-hmm. if it's not life-giving for any number of reasons, either for Grant or for me or for the other folks on our team, um, that we're not attached to that, but mm-hmm. that we... S- well, and that's where, that's where the practice of retreat comes in, too, as we've explored, to have these times of pause and to reevaluate. Yes, So, Jen, now that we've bounced around this topic a bit, what are some practical tools that others can use to discern their vocation? I think it certainly needs to begin with prayer. And as we've discussed, prayers can take lots and lots of forms. They can have words and no words. You might um, begin entering into a labyrinth. I know you've, you've shared that it's a helpful metaphor, and it may be for others as they're discerning vocation. I also think it has to begin with noticing and knowing yourself with noticing and knowing God and God's character Mm -hmm. with knowing and being a part of God's work through and in the church, starting with what's recorded in scripture. So start with scripture. There also needs to be an element of being in community with people who will help you do the former, (laughs) help you know yourself and help you grow in Christ likeness. I thought I'd mention, as I have many times on the podcast, that that may or may not be equivalent or overlapping with your local church body. You may find that your larger church body are not these people for you and that you need to find them elsewhere. And there are a number of places you can do that. I'd like to suggest that one of those places may be in the Sacred Ordinary Days tribe, that you may find some people with whom you can develop a deep relationship either on retreat or in our Facebook group. I've, I've heard stories of people doing that. But it may just be a small part of your church, or um, there may be some bigger pieces of that. And then I just thought I'd mention that it may be helpful to do this work, which is sometimes painful, alongside a spiritual director and or a therapist or counselor. They have certainly different roles to play in discerning and discovering and unfolding Mm. your sense of vocation, but they're, they're helpful companions. What I find so interesting listening to all these, these steps that you've mentioned is 
that the word that keeps coming up is listening. It's it's a process of listening, and we're talking about voice, which you would think would be speaking, etc. How essential the process of listening is to finding your voice, and so you have to pause maybe that voice for a bit. Pause and listen first, and then let the voice come from come from what you hear, which is that that conduit piece again. So helpful. I know that as someone who is deeply opinionated, <laughs> surprising <laughs> no one, um, and as someone who, upon being asked a question, can always provide almost always provide some sort of answer. Um, I. When I was in high school, I decided that I really wanted to become a good listener. And I have had several periods of time along the way where I decided I was just going to focus on being a good listener, that I was going to notice who asked good questions, who made Mm -hmm. me feel listened to, seen, and heard in conversation and in relationship with them, and who didn't, and why. And so I have even started listening to interviews both auditory ones like on podcasts and radio shows and visual ones and kind of reverse engineering what is and isn't working and when listening is and isn't happening. Mm. And a big piece that has been helpful for me is in marrying someone with whom I disagree about politics (laughs) Um, and other things as well, of course, but um, we don't agree about politics. And that is an area that I think as a culture and as people, we're not trained to be good listeners. We are trained to be really Mm -hmm. good shouters. And of course, it's not because it wouldn't be a great thing to bring up. It's because most of us aren't trained how to do it well. So if you find, as we're talking about listening, that you have a lot of anxiety about that or that you don't think of yourself as a good listener, um, just start. Just start noticing who in your life makes you feel seen and heard who feels present to you and Mm. then start picking up some of the things that they're doing. Mm -hmm. So we've talked quite a bit about Parker Palmer's let your life speak. And um, for folks who have been paying attention in some of the videos that we have shared at sacred ordinary days, you may have noticed that it's one of the books that I leave out because it has been so formative and formational for me. Um, And I know that a couple of Palmer's lines and some other resources have been helpful for you, Lacey. Tell us about those. Oh, definitely. I think, especially as through my language, we could say my voice, since it's the word that keeps coming up for me, the thread, following the sacred thread, Parker Palmer says that it starts with our life. Our life offers clues from the very beginning and my friend Dan from the meaning movement I asked him for some tips for this conversation because I wanted his voice to be a part of this and he says that finding one's vocation is a process of identity formation the more aware you can become of who you are and what has shaped you the more able you'll be to navigate the questions of calling and the many transitions that life will bring your way so I love that and especially as you named listening to listening to your life, working with a therapist, a spiritual director, speaking to a friend, you begin to name these things as you look look back. And he, Dan, also has, of course, written about this many times on his website, themeaningmovement.com. But there was a particular post he shared with me, and it's titled Finding Purpose in Life the long guide to finding your life's work. And so there he outlines steps to begin this process. And he says, first you identify the themes, which we've already kind of talked about in your past, present, and future themes that are personal, relational, professional. And he says that they all have to do with meaning and desire. And so the questions he asks are, what do you find meaningful? How have you been impacted? And how do you long to impact? And that's a great thing to have in conversation. That's a great conversation to have with with a friend because they can highlight those things for you that sometimes we can't see ourselves. Mm -hmm. But one thing I want to highlight too, and this comes from Parker Palmer as well, is that this can and should be a, a gentle process. 
a calling out rather than a um, a, de- a demand or a harsh pursuit. He describes the soul as a wild animal. And so he says, you know, if you're in this forest and you want to see the animal, you want that deer that you see to stay, or you want to watch it, you want it to come out, you walk slowly and quietly and you kind of stay a little hidden and you wait until it feels comfortable enough to emerge. And that's how we've got to treat ourselves in this process. That's how we've got to treat our souls because this stuff is so central to us that it's often buried deep and yet it can when it's brought to the surface transform transform our lives you can hear parker palmer talk about this um and as we've been talking about listening read the expression on his face and see his body movements Mm. um, at the work of the people.com um travis is a videographer and storyteller and has compiled the stories and teachings of so many of the most formative teachers in my own life. Thank you, Travis. And (laughs) Parker Palmer is one of those. And as I was hearing Lacey describe the soul as a wild animal, I remembered that um, encountering that in his writing felt very different to me than encountering that and watching a video of him. So I'd invite you to to yeah. go there, and we'll oh, link to it I've in the show notes. Mm-hmm. And I also want to point out, too, that passion, when we think about passion, we are using that word a lot these days when we talk about work and vocation, but it also means suffering. And so vocation, as you listen to your life, is often a two-sided coin that speaks to both our places of woundedness and healing. And so my my story, growing up, I traveled a lot, and I was always kind of wanting to be somewhere else. Mm. And that that certainly was a testament to where I found life, but also to some woundedness as well. And so to find myself here in a path where I am finding such great meaning in journeys, in the language of journey, both abroad and in everyday life, it's, it's the redemption in that story, mm. the woundedness and that the woundedness can lead to my place of healing. And that's the same for for Dan as well of the Meaning Movement. He was always, and I remember him going through this process, wondering, what what am I going to do? What is my calling? What is my vocation? And he was always asking these questions until he realized and until we all were able to see that this is your work. You're so good at asking these questions. Your work is right here. You're already standing there. Hmm. And your work is to then turn around and to guide people on that same path. And so that's what, that was just a big aha, too, for myself and my own journey and to see in his as well that he was already there. And it was found in the questions he was asking, the ways he wanted to be healed. So beautiful and so, so true. If we will let it, our places of, of deep hurt and woundedness um, are very often a part of the work that we're called to do once, once they have healed. Mm-hmm. So in both your story and Dan's story, and for that matter, my story, any of these mm-hmm. stories of the redemption of the woundedness and then healing, what's that next step like? Because mm-hmm. there well, seems to I be think- a next step. Definitely. And as we name the themes, notice the patterns, share our story with others, we, as you said, when you were talking about being a conduit and stewarding your vocation well, we are compelled to take action. And that might be as you're learning, maybe just spending more time with that value as you name your values, your threads. It might mean volunteering, dipping your toe in the water to see what following that path might be like for you. Or it could be changing careers, which is what Dan's emphasis is for certain. His niche in in the world is. He says that work at its best is an opportunity to not just do something in the world, but something that is in alignment with who you are and what you bring to the world. And his emphasis is on work worth doing. And I feel like, and then that's kind of what you and I are doing now more than ever. It's easier to to pursue your own career path as well. And that might mean, as I know I'm doing, supporting it in other ways too, 
But because of this big internet, the World Wide Web, and because of the ways we're all connected, and I think because of the millennial generation, a generation who, when leaving college, didn't have the same opportunities as generations before them, have come to value finding meaning in what they do, even if it means following untraditional paths. This is, this is the time to tune into this conversation, tune into your vocation, and follow the path ahead of you. So Lacey, I know that a lot of my conversations when we go down the path of vocation and begin to explore, um, I've had these conversations with folks that I'm doing spiritual direction alongside. And, you know, as I've often worked with people younger than myself in church growing up, I get to have a lot of these conversations. I'm curious from your vantage point, what do you have to say when someone someone is in a position that they are beginning to notice and maybe even nurture that sense of calling in their own voice, but doesn't, they don't feel like they can step more fully into it until something. Hmm. I mean, I would explore that wall, that barrier with that person asking questions of why or what, what is that? And that might take us into their past. What is it that stands in their way? Is that a theme recurring as well? Because not only do we have these positive themes, right, going through as threads, but the places of woundedness we carry with us as well. And so that I feel like that would be the work. That's where we begin. Something that you've told me recently, um, it's a Brene Brown quote, we love her, is... Um, <laughs> Naming, oh, well, the, the story I've told myself is, yes, which mm-hmm. leaves room for the possibility and often the reality that the story that we have mm-hmm. told ourselves about something may not actually be the truth. Mm-hmm. And we often can't see that until we name that yeah. something really is just our story and not the mm-hmm. truth. Um, mm-hmm. One of the things that I love exploring is I can't do this until moments Mm -hmm. is exploring those to see if that's really the case, if there really needs to be this until moment. What's that story? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. Or if there's some other shifts that can be made to create Mm -hmm. space, to free up finances. I know Mm -hmm. um, just in Grant and I's story, if we had been making the decision for him to join our business purely based on finances. If that was the only decision, only part of the decision that mattered, we probably would have waited another six months or a year at least before mm-hmm. he joined our business full time. Um, and I think money is one of one of the things that people always come back to: time, money, and the intersection of those two travel. It's too hard. Mm-hmm. I can't because I can't travel Scale. to get there. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I don't have enough money. I don't have enough time. But those are almost never an actual reason for anything for anyone. People always mm-hmm. say them and they are almost never. They're the stories. Relative. They're the yeah. stories that we mm-hmm. tell ourselves and that we let each other get away with. Um, and so as you know as we were discerning what role money played in the decision that we were making um what we realized was that we had been planning and saving and hoping for this moment for a long time and so we had set aside mm-hmm. money to be able to take this leap well and what i love about this imagery too the i can't do this until in this boundary that stands in your way or something is that we can play, that imagery is in our service. We can play with that imagery and see, go into that. Yeah, even if I'm working with someone, I might have them close their eyes and visualize that barrier, see what, what's it made of, what color is it? And also to look at it and see, is there a way, can you climb over it? Can you walk around it? Mm-hmm. Is there a door nearby? Because sometimes we just are so close to the wall, we feel, that there is nothing that can be done, as you said. But... There's creativity in finding your way around things. Do you dig under it? What? And so you start with this metaphor, and then you 
work into the practical, which I think is what you've done as you've explored how you can both be working full time for sacred ordinary days. You've become creative about it and found your footing again, found yourself on the other side on solid ground. And I think that is um, a gift that I would like to give someone who is feeling like they're at a wall. Um, I would like to invite you. We would like to invite you to use this practice that Lacey has just described and to hear us give you permission. If that is something that is helpful for you to give you permission to explore and to not assume that what you have perceived as a wall or a no or a not yet or a not until that may not be of truth. It may not be of God. It may not be yours. It may simply be a part of the story that you're now being called to shed or to come back to with more creativity. And so, Lacey, I know we both have some resources that we want to give folks who want to go into this a little bit deeper. Yeah, well, definitely Dan's website, themeaningmovement.com. And he's actually also just now releasing a Kindle ebook that's available on Amazon, The Calling Process, a step-by-step guide to finding purpose and pursuing your dream job. And these are the foundational pieces of his greater calling course. So it's free and it's a great place to start. And of course, let your life speak, listening to the voice of vocation by Parker Palmer. And also I'd recommend To Be Told by Dan Allender. He was one of my teachers at the Seattle School. And this is all about your story, knowing your story. And the subtitle is God Invites You to Co-Author Your Future. And so it's naming your story in the past and then becoming co-authors, co-creators with God as you step into your vocation. What about you, Jen? I'm recommending Richard Rohr's Everything Belongs. I actually had forgotten the second part of that title, but it's The Gift of Contemplative Prayer. Everything Belongs, The Gift of Contemplative Prayer. What I feel like this work has done for me is that it helps um, helps us understand ourselves rooted in our connectedness to God through prayer mm. and not apart from it. And I think even just the title um, gives room that everything belongs, the woundedness, the beauty, um, the experiences, the stories that we have told ourselves and, and can come to tell ourselves. Um, and then I would also say that I have read many books, taken courses, explored, prayed, sat with people as um, a friend and the one being, (laughs) the one having a friend speak to me, um, kind of at every side of the table. And I needed a tool to put all of this together and really work it out for myself. Um, And that is what we have tried to create with the Sacred Ordinary Days Planner a tool for you to actually take what you're exploring Mm -hmm. and let your life speak, what you're exploring in your practices of prayer, what you're exploring as you go through the liturgical year, what you're trying on perhaps by listing these values or threads that you noticed and putting them into a rule of life. You need a place to really work that out and sit with it, walk with it for a while. And so that's what we've tried to do with the planner, which, as I said, you can now pre-order at sacredordinarydays.com or start with the Essentials Workbook for free. (laughs) And it has a lot of these essential elements of the planner in it. Well, and the beauty of that, too, is as you have that practice of returning to the workbook in those categories that you have it's the threads are built right in. You'll begin to see those patterns, begin to see a voice emerging. Yeah. One that was already there, already there in the writing, already there within. Your life will begin to reveal itself to you. Your calling will begin mm-hmm. to reveal itself to you. And it, and that that has been my one of my threads for a long time is to help people discern and then actually do the work that they were uniquely created and called to do. 
and to do it really effectively, really joyfully, and then sustainably, not to the point of burnout and then get on the other side and stop doing it, but to continue to see and respond to what your work is to be in this season of your life. So Lacey, will you call our time together today to its benediction? Oh, yes. So I'm going to be reading a quote from Parker Palmer's Let Your Life Speak, and I just want you to settle in and let it speak to you. I'll read the quote once, and then I'm going to ring a singing bowl, ring the bell, and let the resounding sound of the bell allow that quote to resound to resonate within you. And then as the chime comes to an end, I will read it once more. Before you tell your life what you intend to do with it, listen for what it intends to do with you. Before you tell your life what truths and values you have decided to live up to, let your life tell you what truths you embody, what values you represent. Before you tell your life what you intend to do with it, listen for what it intends to do with you. Before you tell your life what truths and values you have decided to live up to, Let your life tell you what truths you embody, what values you represent. So what are your thoughts on the season after Pentecost, this ordinary time? How do you plan to market and spend these days? Will you be exploring your own vocation or perhaps spending some time nurturing someone else's? Let us know in the Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash Sacred Ordinary Days Tribe or on social media using the hashtag Sacred Ordinary Days. You'll hear from Lacey and I again on Wednesday, June 8th. It'll be the last episode of season one. To follow along, subscribe to the Sacred Ordinary Days podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, or your favorite podcast app. And please, as your gift back to us for this season, would you leave us an iTunes review? For other resources on the liturgical calendar and spiritual formation, join me at sacredordinarydays.com and Lacey at a sacredjourney.net.